Morning, Sarepta, and everyone listening. I just, I've just noticed something this morning. All those women in the row next to me, and my mother, who is no longer alive, have influenced me most in my life as women. And so there's my wife, and there's my daughter, and there's my older sister, and there's my younger sister. And as a man, I wish to honor women. Thank you for the role that you have had in forming me as a man. So honor the women in your life, men. They, many of them have done some amazing things for you, and I'm going to mention some of them in my talk. I'm talking today on restoring hope. Restoring hope. Lord, speak to us from your word. Lord, I thank you for all that we have heard this morning. Thank you for the worship that has drawn our attention to you as God. But Lord, we personally want to hear from you. You are the living God, creator of heaven and earth, and you are the living God who knows each of us personally. And that is a wonderful truth, and we wish to accept that this morning. Restore hope in our lives, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. What do you do the moment you wake up in the morning? When I was a little boy, my mother would bring tea. Can you believe that? Maybe some of you still get tea in the morning to wake you up. I don't. <laughs> and I don't expect it, Ingrid. I don't expect it. But when you wake up first thing in the morning, I don't know, what do you do? Do you stretch? Do you get out of bed and get on your knees and pray? Do you go straight to the bathroom and wash your face? I don't know. Think about how each day starts for each of you. And I don't know how conscious you become of your day, how soon you become conscious of what's ahead of you that day. But for me, it takes a few moments. And then you realize, okay, it's Monday or it's Thursday, and I have such and such and such ahead of me. And sometimes we have gone to sleep burdened. Somehow we've managed to sleep with what we carry, and others of us, we go to sleep and we sleep like a baby. But we wake up in the morning and we look into the day, and how does it look? We live in Egypt, as most of you know. And Egypt, honestly, is no different to South Africa, is no different to Cameroon. I spoke to some brothers and sisters from Cameroon yesterday, and they greet the church here. Zolani met them yesterday. It's actually very, not any different to America. People are struggling economically. Everyone we meet, guests who come from America, say, what I spent $100 on just a few months ago, I'm getting so much less today. You speak to South Africans, I spent a thousand rand the other day, and I'm getting so much less today. There is so much that we have to carry as human beings, and it seems to be getting heavier and heavier. And, and many of us feel that weight. And I want to say to us, there is always hope in God. We don't have to hope that God is there. I'd like you to tell you to tell you a biblical truth. God is present everywhere on the planet and knows exactly what's going on in our circumstances. We don't have to hope 
for God. He is already present. He is a reality. He is a truth. And actually, Jesus said to us, we can actually rest. We can actually rest in the fact that God is present. That is an amazing thing as a human being. Sometimes we, we can do life easily. You may gr have grown up in, in a home where you've had everything you've had. But those of us who have lacked things in life, and I, I guarantee you everyone in this room has had an experience of not having something. We can rest in the reality that we have God. You don't have to do anything to have God. You just have to acknowledge that He's there. That's the beginning. But it's not easy to get to that point. I'll tell you a, a family story. And I was recalling this with my sisters just recently. We went to live in England from 1977 to 81. I know that's a number and it's a long time ago. Anyway, we went to live in England. And it was the, the most difficult time our family has ever experienced. We had grown up in Africa. We seemed to have everything there. And then we ended up in cloudy, rainy, depressing England. And I know England is not that for everyone, but at that time for us, it was hard. And I even recall, as I think back, my mother was probably depressed at the time. In the 1780s, people didn't think about depression as much as they do today. It's something that we understand so much more, but I think she was depressed. I know I, as a 13-year-old boy, was just en enveloped by the rain and the difficulty of life, I honestly, when I think back, I had little hope. In, in a way, there was like hopelessness in the family. And it took one person, not my mother, not me, it took my father to exercise faith. And it wasn't faith in God. It was just faith that it's going to be better. That was his frame of mind. And he went to South Africa and he looked for a job. He stayed in a caravan on my elder sister's property. He was in his 50s and he got a job. And I remember during that time, I cried out. I didn't even know who God was. I didn't even know there was a God. I said, if you exist, this thing up there, if you really exist, please get my family, get me out of this dark, depressive, difficult place. And he did, and I completely forgot that prayer. <laughs> but he heard me, because many years later, we were in South Africa. My, sister, my elder sister had gone to a church. She had found faith in Jesus, and I saw my mother attend that church, and I saw her transformed by an understanding of who God was in Jesus. I, my memory of my mother is a lady with deep faith, and her circumstances were difficult. My father was doing a difficult job. It was hard. He was elderly. Then he got really sick. She was working as well. Her circumstances were hard, but I remember my mother every day opening up a little booklet. It was called Faith for Daily Living. It probably still exists. And, and I knew that those few verses and what that person said, it, it, it encouraged her every single day. And the love that she seemed to generate 
around her because of Jesus. There really was Jesus in her. I re recall that as a teenage boy who was not a very easy teenage boy at times. But I saw the faith in my mother, but I saw it last until the day she died. It was really formational in me. And it had an effect where she had lost hope in England. She found hope by coming to sunny South Africa, and the sun helps a lot, by the way. But she found Jesus in, in, in here. You know, we can see the sun, and it can actually make very little difference to how we're really feeling. But to find new life in here, it transformed her, and she, was no, and she, didn't, she wasn't inward looking. She was the mom. The mom that I remember was just always open, not self-focused, giving away, loving. And she had her difficult days. I I, just the other day, Samantha was sharing, my daughter was sharing with me um, how difficult a day she'd had. And I said, you know, your grandmother, when she had difficult days and she discerned it was more than just people. It was like an evil presence. It was, she would call it an evil presence. My mother would literally walk to the door of the house, of the apartment that she lived in, open it, open it and say, out you go, devil. For her, that was the practical way of dealing with evil, just feeling engrossed and surrounded by thoughts and feelings and say, out you go, I don't want you in my house. I don't want you in my heart. It's a practical thing, but it just, it, what it did for her was sustain her. Guys, we need hope. And that hope that we need is not just a sunny day, not just a decent salary. It's just something deep within us. And what it is, is that relationship with the living God, which sometimes we don't fully understand what that is. But I want to take us to John chapter 20. You can read it on your own from verse 1 to verse 18, but it's the story of Mary Magdalene when she goes to the tomb. Mary Magdalene was part of the group of people that traveled with Jesus. It was a lady that he had set free from many demons. And she had gone to the grave and he was not there. Not even his body was there. And she was, she'd lost all hope. And she was crying. And I'd like to pick up from verse 14 and read from verse 14 to verse 18. She, that is Mary Magdalene, turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. Some points to take from this. Jesus is here with us. 
she didn't recognize him. That is true. In our circumstances, even as Christians, sometimes we forget that Jesus is with us. And we forget how to recognize him in our circumstances. He is in our circumstances. Verse 15 is 100% the Jesus that I love. Dear woman, why are you crying? There's, there's real humor in that. We live in Egypt. That's not just a question. It's, it's an obvious question. He, he comes to the guy who's blind, and he says, what do you want? It's an obvious question, isn't it? I, I want to see. But Jesus, when he comes to us personally, he will ask you a question. I have found that. And many of my friends, what do you want? He's wanting you to say it to him. Not like, oh God, you know what I want. I know in our marriage relationship, Ingrid has a very high expectation that I can read her mind. And most of the time, I can't. <laughs> we sometimes think about that with God. Because we sit back and we think, God, you know my circumstances. You should be here. You should be in my circumstances. We expect him. That's our attitude. But when we turn and face him, he'll ask me, what do you actually want, Tim? in this situation, in this work situation, in this relationship situation, he'll ask you, what do you actually want from me? And she says, I'm looking, dear woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? I'm looking for you, but I don't recognize you. And she thought he was the gardener. I will pick up that in a moment. Verse 16, Mary, Jesus knows our name. That was a big thing in my life. As a young man, there was many things that were strong in me, but I was desperately alone inside. And when I knew that God knew my name, knew me, Tim, in all my good and bad, that began to set me free as a young man. He knows me, and he knows each of you. And he's pretty okay with who you are right now. You need to know that. He has loved you way before you think you need to get to a, a point that you are lovable. You are loved now, and he'll take you on from where you are now, but he loves you as you are right now. And he knows your name. It's personal. Jesus is personal. And you can see how desperate Mary is. We get to desperate situations. She is clinging to this guy. <laughs> Don't cling on me. She really wants him to stay. She just really needs this guy. And he says, Mary, we've got to move on from here. And she knows that's okay. But it's the Lord that speaks to her. And so she does that. And she goes and tells the guys, he restores her hope. She had completely lost it. This guy had died. This amazing guy who did all these healings and teachings and stuff, he died and they put him in a rock and put him in a hole in the ground. I mean, that's the end of everything, isn't it? You love someone dearly and you put them in the ground, that's done. I mean, there's no way that person's coming back. And Jesus comes back. 
there's a, a, an amazing restored hope. Imagine the one you loved most comes back after a few days. How that would transform your life. Picture that. And this is the Lord Jesus who comes back. There's a, there's a deep restored hope. I want to say Jesus can be resurrected again in your circumstances. Trust God for that. However difficult they are, whatever you think about economics and the fact that you've tried for a job over and over again, you can't seem to generate enough money for yourself or your family, tell the Lord this and ask Him to just come alive again in your life and give you hope for the next step. But the Gospel of John, and I don't have a lot of time to talk about this, the Gospel of John, from many scholars' points of view, is like a mirror image of the book of Genesis. It's like a new Genesis, because the book of John starts with, in the beginning, just like Genesis started with, in the beginning. He's showing that in Jesus, a whole new creation is beginning a whole new creation is beginning. Jesus, even in his teaching, says, God is the gardener in John chapter 15. And he cares for us and he prunes us so that we can produce more fruit. And here, John, and I really believe it's his sense of humor, he, calls, he places Jesus in the garden and Mary sees him as the gardener. Jesus is the gardener. He's the gardener. And it's a wonderful truth. When he created human beings, I've, I've gone over this uh, a month or so ago with some students from Cameroon. They're doing their studies, and they, look at, they looked at the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, if you want to restore hope and to get an idea of what God's plan for the all of creation is, read Genesis 1 and 2. It will encourage you to know that God said to human beings, be blessed, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and govern or care for the earth. That's what God has given us. He's given us the whole earth. And again in Genesis 2, he said he placed Adam, where? He placed Adam in a garden. He placed Adam in a garden and gave him a companion, Eve, that together they would work this earth and fill it with people that can honor God and live on this planet and care for it. That's God's plan. And this is what God wants of us. If you look at the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, you see the holy city of God with all those who are with him coming where? Coming down to the new earth. And where is God? Amongst us on the new earth. The whole of the Bible is about creation and recreation and us living where God has placed us. This is just a really big problem because from the beginning until the end, which is wonderful and full of hope, there's a 
I was going to say bloody, but I'll say it. There's a bloody mess. It's, and it's really messy. It's violent. It's evil. And it started right there in the book of Genesis with the, with the devil and us. It starts here in South Africa with them, whoever them are, and us. We're involved in the story. That's why when I was, you're talking about Africa and the role that we have as church, this is the role we have as church. Not just to, not to put on our boxing gloves and go and fight evil people, but to get on our knees and say, God, you promised to restore us and this planet and this country. Do it, please, God. Do it, please, God. And he just needs one or two of us to be faithful in regularly thinking that. Oh, the devil would love it if we pick up weapons and we fight each other. So Jesus restores hope to us now in the mess that we all live in and that is around us so that we can give life to others. Just bear with me with a couple of verses. Acts 28 verse 20, Paul says, Jesus was the hope of Israel. He's the Messiah, the one come to set the Israelites free. And they were trodden on and abused and exiled, and they were hoping for this Messiah. Paul says, as a Jew, he is the hope of Israel. He is still the hope of the modern state of Israel. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 47, Paul said Jesus is the second Adam. He's the guy that comes and does it all again, but does it right. He restores everything. We have messed stuff up. Jesus has restored it, he, but he's not just restored it with a few words and a couple of miracles. He's restored it in the major areas of problem of death and corruption and violence. He has restored it in those core areas of evil. He has overcome all of those. So we have the tools. We have the relationship to walk as Jesus walked and throw out the gospel of no suffering. Throw it out. When you are with Jesus, you are loved to overflowing, and you will suffer, my brothers and sisters. There are Christians suffering all over the world, and if you are suffering in your life for your faith, God bless you. Don't bring it on yourself by being a really antsy Christian, but bring on suffering because you love until it hurts. I'm, I'm pushing you too hard, but just really hear me, guys. The hope that Jesus has restored is not only personal, it's national, it's all of humanity. In fact, it's all of creation. I want you to come with me. I'm just going to, I'll read it for you. It's in, it's Romans chapter 8, verse 20 and 21. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. All creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. 
in the most wonderful chapter in the Bible, in my opinion, Romans chapter 8, is the story of even creation eagerly awaiting the revelation of us. How we abuse even this planet and, and creation, God's creation, waits for us to care for the earth well. Lord, have mercy on us. So what story are we a part of? You know we work amongst Muslims. I love Muslim people. And I've come to love them more and more. They have, many of my friends have such a healthy, high view of God. Creator of heaven and earth. It's healthy. And I'll say it again. It, it's healthy. They see God as big. They have a saying, Allah Akbar, which you hear on the TV with these guys with rifles. But a Muslim, when they really understand Allah Akbar, is God is great. He is great. But not a single Muslim will, will allow themselves to think that God is personal. Not a single Muslim will allow them the reality that God became human to identify with us. And so we have to build bridges towards our Muslim friends. And in the Quran, which is their holy book, there are so many. In fact, Jesus is probably the most highly praised human being in the Quran. He is the only one who is sinless in the Quran. He is the one who is known as Messiah. And many of my Muslim friends have said, what does Messiah mean? Some of us can maybe explain that to them. And he's kalimat Allah, which means the word of God. Even hidden in the, in the Quran are these gems that those who are reaching out to Muslims say, look, this book you say is given to you by God. Look what God has put in the book for you to know the one who walks alongside us, who is in the garden with us, to know this Jesus. Thank God he's there. And all of us, we live amongst people who's, and even ourselves, where we are bombarded with information and ideas and thoughts, what we listen to, what we place ourselves under. And you know what? That does shape us. And I'm not saying don't listen to music and don't watch TV. I love both of those things. I'm not saying that. But what I would like to encourage you this morning is make sure that you're getting the message of the good news in your heart. I've said it here many times. Read the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You will see the Jesus that we speak about, that we say we love in so many different ways through four different perspectives. And what that will do is you regularly read that it will help you understand the other stuff that you're hearing and get it into perspective. Because if you don't read your scriptures, if you only come to church once a week, I guarantee you from tomorrow onwards you will start to lose hope. If you don't connect with the Lord, apart from this morning, you will start to feel despondent. But as you notice him in your life, as you open the word and encounter him in your life, you will see him give you a different perspective. And I am not a psychologist. 
and I do, and I have seen people struggle with depression. And I'm not saying there's an easy way out, but I am saying there is a way out. There is a way out. And, and I don't wish to be flippant and give you a, no quick answer, but it does begin with seeing the Lord Jesus in your circumstances, right there with you, encouraging you, showing you how to find the way. And maybe you need to talk to someone to help you to find the way. But there is a way. And there's another way as well. We can pray. Like I, I told you the story of my father, there are countless stories of people who exercise faith. And it's not always in God. It's in a circumstance. Those four guys that took their paralyzed friend, I don't know, they had the faith to get their friend through the roof to get to Jesus to do and Jesus do whatever he needed to do for him. If, if you don't have faith, ask God, rescue me. And hopefully there's someone near you that's looking out for you that has enough faith to help get you out of your circumstance. Don't be lazy and say, no, let mom, let dad, let my brother or sister do it, you know, rescue me. No, but we do have people in our lives. God will place someone who maybe has that little bit of faith to get you out of where you are at the moment. So I'd like to end by just saying and giving you a few tips. 1 Peter 3, verse 15 says, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, and if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. And I know Ingrid and I are regularly dismantling people's views of people like us. And I would, I would like to say that all of us are, are involved in God's story on this planet. All of you. That what, what you understand as what God has given you, can you share that with somebody else? It takes courage. Because if you have in your mind, oh, I'm not like Zolani, or I'm not like so-and-so, Anne, then you're never going to open your mouth. But if you say, Lord, help me open my mouth. I see my friend really struggling. And you might really mess it up, but it's okay. If you do it in love, it's a good chance they'll hear you. So Matthew 28, uh, right at the end of Matthew 28, I'd like us to just look at that quickly as what we can do for others. From verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have, given, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And to be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Some tips to help you help others. First one, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples... Keep it small. 
the group around you, the group that you're influencing, keep it small, especially those that you're pouring your heart into. If Jesus poured his heart into 12, that's maybe a helpful guideline for us. And if one of those 12 betrays you, don't be surprised. That's his story. And some of us know that. We give stuff to people around us, and some of them betray us. It may happen. It happened to Jesus. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him. Isn't that wonderful? Worship Jesus. Get a clear idea of who you are worshipping. In other words, give yourself fully to him. But some of them doubted. I love that. I love the scriptures. The scriptures never hide the stuff. It doesn't say, oh, they worshipped him and it was all wonderful. They worshipped him and some doubted. I like that. Because we come to God sometimes and we, we want to worship him, but we really are doubting. Is it really going to be worth it? He understands your doubt. Doubt with Jesus. Verse 18, Jesus says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. That's quite a statement. You have to be completely out of your mind to say something like that. Or the Lord Jesus. Hear me? You have to be completely out of your mind to say, I have been given all authority on earth. Or you can be the Lord Jesus. All authority, if, if you get disillusioned with what Putin is doing and what Zelensky is doing and what Xi is doing and what Biden is doing and what Malema is doing and whatever blah, blah, is doing, they don't have all authority, guys. They don't. And these guys pull us down. I'm even thinking about Eskim. Oh, it's like, come and done. Oh, the words disappeared because of Eskim. It's not Eskim. Jesus has all authority. If Eskim cuts off, pray for Eskim. Not that the Lord would judge them, but the Lord would help those trying to fix the system. That the Lord would push away anyone that's trying to break down the system. Do that every time you have a power cut. We might see something different in our nation. Every time you meet that person that you really don't like, pray for them that God may do something new in their life. It might change your relationship to them. Verse 19, go and make disciples. Um, that's a strange word for many people in the modern world, but go and make learners. Go and make people, help people be hungry to learn. Let them see in your life that you like to learn new things, even as an old person, however old you think you are, let your wife, let your children, your grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren see that you still love to learn. I promise you, you will be wonderful heritage. All peoples. You better get used to it, guys. This is what I love about Sarepta. This is all the peoples of South Africa, and you are getting used to each other. Yeah? What is it, what's it like to be with a Zulu person? Well, doing church as Sarepta, you're learning what it's like to be with a Zulu person. 
And Zulu people, oh, what's it like to be with these white old people? <laughs> You're learning what it's like to really know who these white old people are like. And it's actually quite nice, isn't it? There's some cool things about each other. There's some things that we can build into each other's life. I was Janet. Uh, Janet was just talking to some young men are in her small group and said, I just feel so excited to have these young men, young Zulu men in my life. And they are so excited to have this older, you know, white lady in their life. And it's like, this is a mutual relationship. It's a sweet thing, guys. Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. It's really fun to be diverse. And baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yes, be baptized as a follower. But you know what that says? These people are not yours. These people belong to Jesus. When you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they are not yours, church leaders. They belong to the Lord Jesus. When you baptize them, they are immersed into his church, into his body, into his life. They belong to the Lord Jesus. And then it makes life a lot easier to lead. And finally, teach to obey. In, in the Hebrew word is shema, which means listen, but it also means act. When they translate the word shema, they say listen and act. It's not just listen, listen, listen. It means listen and do. That's what the Lord asks us to do. Whatever you're taking from him, my, like my mother, if you read a simple verse each day and the encouragement there, she took that into her day. You open the Bible and you read a couple, a chapter. Take that into your day, into all that you're thinking. And, it's, and there's something new and fresh that you're offering this world. You're actually offering them hope. I think I'm quite blind to the fact that I have, I'm offering hope. But honestly, we're walking with the Lord Jesus. We are giving people hope just by being there, by being amongst them, by serving, by working with them. And as I look at this wonderful continent of Africa and all, all that's mixed in with it and all that God is doing on this continent, as we understand the big picture that this is God's garden, that we messed up, but that he has begun to restore since the time of Jesus. He's restoring this continent. He's restoring this planet. He's restoring us to himself. We, each of us here, are involved in this amazing story that is changing the planet, that is changing history. How many people in this room would say, when Christians in South Africa started to pray, things changed? Even when the new South Africa was immersed and the Botelezi and many of the Zulu people were not involved, and yet there was a huge, what was it? Not just a rally, there was a huge prayer meeting. And from that, people came in and said, yes, we can build a new South Africa. We better build a new South Africa together. But it takes prayer. It takes the church. It takes us being united. Romans 15, verse 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit.
Let's pray. Lord God, we acknowledge you are here. We would ask you this morning to activate hope again in our lives. Activate it to overflowing. Give us a fresh and renewed picture of who Jesus is and how we walk alongside him in all our daily activities. From the moment we wake up in the morning to all that we do in the day to the moment we go to bed at night, Lord Jesus, walk amongst us in all the places that we live and work. Lord Jesus, heal us and all that we are involved in. It is, these are big prayers, Lord, but you know our heart. We want to see change, and we know that it's rooted and sourced in you. So come, Lord God, do something new and fresh in our lives, even today, during this Easter. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for that last word, Doug. Thank you.